Good November to Remember morning. It is the 44th week of the year. We are November 2nd, 1102, 2023. Yay! So thankful we made it. How are we going to make it memorable this month? Well, this morning I'd like to share with you something I found. It is on St. Joseph Maria. I think it's a great way to kick off November. It's a short article written March 21st, 2023 by St. Jose Maria Institute. It's called Imitations of Love. The priestly ordination and first mass of Jose Maria Escriva. It's a story, so we'll just tell it in story form and relax a bit. As a teenager, Saint Jose Maria Escriva followed the normal course of a high school student. He aimed to be a good student, get excellent grades, and dream of being an architect. Becoming a priest was not what St. Jose Maria had originally thought was for him. Augustine Perez Tomas, a fellow's classmate from La Grano, recalls that one of their friends once told St. Jose Maria that he could be a priest one day. And Jose Maria answered simply, oh, don't be silly. But in his heart, Jose Maria sensed that God was asking something of him, calling him for something he did not know yet, which caused a generous change of plans. So, on January 9, 1918, that's more than a hundred years ago, St. Jose Maria turned 16. The city of the Grano, where he lived, lay peaceful under a heavy snowfall. The temperature hovered around zero degrees Fahrenheit. No one went out unless they absolutely had to. One of those wintry days, a young Jose Maria looked down at the snow and saw footprints left by bare feet. He realized that they had been made by one of the Carmelite friars who had recently arrived in the city. He wondered uh, if others can make such sacrifices for God, can't I offer him something? It was a thought destined to remain with him for the rest of his life. Later, he would say that I never thought of dedicating myself to God. The problem never came up because I thought it was not for me, but our God was preparing things, giving me one grace after another, passing over my defects, my childhood errors, and adolescent mistakes. For JW and for Paulo. I began to have imitations of love to realize that my heart was asking for something great. 
and that it was love. I didn't know what God wanted of me. And it was evident that I had been chosen for something. So that, so what did St. Jose Maria do? Pray, certainly. Ask the Lord to enlighten his heart. He began to use the words of the blind man of the gospel as an inspiration. From Luke 18, verse 41. Lord, make me see what you want from me. Domine, ut videum. A quote, yes, unquote, to God. A yes to God. St. Jose Maria answered, yes. A yes to whatever it was that God had called him to, which led him to discern that he would be prepared, better prepared for his vocation if he became a priest. One day I told my father, he said, that I wanted to be a priest, he explained. It was the only time I ever saw him cry. He had other plans in mind, but he did not object. He told me, son, my son, think it over carefully. A priest has to be a saint. It is very hard not to have a home, a love on earth. Think about it a bit more, but I will not oppose your decision. His father advised him to speak with a priest he knew. This priest spoke with Saint Jose Maria and assured his father that his son had a vocation to the priesthood. He still had to finish high school though, but now that he had ruled, that now that he had ruled out studying, Now they had ruled out studying architecture, his father advised him to pursue a degree in law and to make his civil studies compatible with his commitments in the seminary. God used the example of his father to introduce into St. Jose Maria's heart a conviction that he shared with others throughout his life. Quote, it is no, quote, sacrifice, unquote, for parents when God asks them for their children. Neither are those that he calls. Is it a sacrifice to follow him? Rather, it is an immense honor, a motive for a great and holy pride, a mark of predilection, a very special affection that God has shown at a particular time, but that he has foreseen from all eternity. Bookmark, that's from the book, The Forge, number 18. 
Bookmark, bookmark, bookmark. Pigeon Forge, Pigeon Forge. No, the forge, like forging a sword. Hello. <laughs> Have you ever seen a seal hold a sword? <laughs> what would that look like? A rosary around his neck. Okay, great. In September 1920, St. Jose Maria arrived at the Seminary of St. Carlos in Zaragoza after having completed the first year at the Diocesan Seminary in Logroño. In Zaragoza, he went every day to the nearby basilica where Our Lady of the Pillar has been venerated since early Christianity. <gasps> the Lady of the Pillar, that's the first marrying apparition, and it's still there. You gotta check out this pillar. It's insane. It's so deep into the, it's been nailed. You want a nail? Go pull that out. <laughs> what was that? The little mouse and the lion? He, the lion was like, oh, my hands hurt. And the mouse was like, oh, let me pull it out for you. <clears throat> yeah, I tried to pull out that pillar. They dug and they dug around it and they kept dugging around it and they tried to see the, find the end of it and they still can find the end of it. I see this pattern happen with every Marian apparition that's physically manifested. There's this one, I think it's Incendel, I'm not sure. But they got this castle built on the side of a cliff of a mountain. It looks impossible. Like, how do you build a castle on the side of a mountain? But they had to do it because there was a miraculous painting that just appeared on the face of the mountain after there was a Marian apparition happened. And the lady, she goes there every day and she was praying for her dead daughter. And she was like, and this painting appeared. And they and then they kept trying to come and investigate it. And they were scratching at it, scratching at it to run dig. They dug three feet into this wall of mountain and they still couldn't find how this painted appeared out of nowhere because the color still went going deeper and deeper into the rock. Like they still can't find the end of it. It's insane. There's no way it could have been stained. There's no, they don't have no idea how it even got there. Overnight, overnight. Hello. Anyways, back to the story. In Zaragoza, he went every day to the nearby basilica where Our Lady of the Pillar has been venerated since early Christianity. Saint Maria, and I'm sorry, Saint Jose Maria entrusted himself to Our Lady while waiting for a definite answer regarding the will of God. Quote, and I, half blind, oh, that's me now. Half the time, I'm just guessing. This is why I get frustrated when people ask me to look for stuff. <laughs> Especially in the dark. And I, half blind, was always waiting for the answer, why I am becoming a priest. Our Lord wants something, what is it? And in Latin, he'd say, you know, not in very elegant Latin, he'd say, I kept repeating, Domine ut videum, ut sit, Utsit, what is that you want? And I don't know. And that I don't know. What is it that you want? And that I don't know. Unquote. His prayer to Mary was accompanied by prolonged adoration of the Eucharist. He spent much time in the chapel of the seminary, at times praying for an entire night before an upper balcony that had a view of the tabernacle. Time passed, 
and many hard and distressing things happened, which I will not tell you about. Although they do not make me suffer, you would be saddened by them. They are axe blows struck at the tree by our Lord. From that tree, he was shaping a beam that would be used in spite of its weakness to do his work. I do not know what it is he wanted, but I went forward without doing anything unusual, working with average intensity. Those were the years in Zaragoza. A few months before his priestly ordination, Saint Maria, Saint Jose Maria's family was struck by a tragedy. His father died suddenly on November 27, 1924, when Saint Jose Maria summoned by a telegram arrived back home, all he could do was pray for the repose of his father's soul and try to comfort his mother, sister, and little brother. My father died exhausted, but still with a smile on his lips, explained St. Jose Maria. In addition to their sorrow, the Escrivas were now in an even tighter financial situation than before. St. Jose Maria was only 23 years old, 10 months short of the age required to canon law for ordination required by canon law for ordination, a few, 10 months short. So he had to request a dispensation. <gasps> you know what I'm praying for, right? Yeah, Korea. For, for, he had to request a dispensation from the Pope. On February 2nd, 1925, a positive response arrived from Rome. On March 4th, Saint Jose Maria went sent Jose Maria sent the vicar general, vicar, vicar general, this formal request. Desiring to receive the holy order of the priesthood on the coming ember day of the fifth week of Lent, since I believe I am called by God to the priestly state, I entreat your excellency to deign to grant me the requisite demissary letters upon fulfillment of the requirements of canon law. Priestly ordination. On March 28, 1925, still in mourning, St. Jose Maria was ordained a priest in the chapel of the seminary of San Carlos. Another nine deacons were ordained to the priesthood at the same time as Jose Maria. So that's 10 altogether. As well as the 10 priests, 14 subdeacons and four deacons were ordained. And their families and their seminarians from Saragossa were all there. Among the large congregation were San, were Saint Jose Maria's mother, um, I'm sorry, my mind's going blank. I'm, I'm praying for it. What's her name? Dolores. Dolores Elbas Escriva. Oh, Dorothy, right? Okay. 
and her other two children, Carmen and Santiago. These were apparently the only close relatives of his who attended his ordination. Saint Jose Maria recalled putting his whole heart into the liturgical ceremonies, the anointing of the hands, the traditio instrumentorum, the giving the new priest a chalice and some of the other items he will use in his priestly ministry. In the words of the congregation, deeply moved and bewildered by God's goodness, he dismissed as nothing the many difficulties he had experienced since his calling and offered thanks with the ardor of his youthful heart. Much later, someone asked him what he remembered from that day, and he replied, Look, my son, I can't remember anything that I could tell you about here and now, but it wouldn't be true to say I don't remember a lot about that day. I think I remember it all. His first Mass on March 30th, St. Jose Maria celebrated his first Mass in the Basilica of Our Lady of the Pillar at the feet of the beloved Madonna. He had prayed to so often. He sent notices to only a small number of people since the family was still in mourning, and the celebration was to be a private one. His mother, his sister, and a few close friends were present, and the Mass was said for the repose of the soul of his father. It had not been easy to get permission to use that chapel, but he very much wanted to celebrate his first Mass there, in the place where he had gone every day to cry out his petition. Domina Utsit. The Mass was more sorrowful than the celebrant could have foreseen, although he would hide the memory and circumstances of the ceremony in a very simple statement. In the chapel, in the presence of a handful of people, I celebrated my first Mass. <laughs> Sounds like something my son would say. From that moment on, Holy Mass became even more central in his life. Without the Mass, he received some of the most important within the Mass, within the Mass, he received some of the most important inspirations from God. Conveying his own experience, he counseled, keep struggling so that the holy sacrifice of the altar really becomes the center and the root, the root of your interior life. And so your whole day will turn into an act of worship, whole day, an extension of the mass you have attended in a preparation for the next. This will then overflow with aspirations, visits to the blessed sacrament, and the offering up of your professional work and your family life. The next day, the 23-year-old priest said farewell to the seminary where he had spent five years of intense activity, study, and spiritual formation and embarked on his first parish assignment at the parish of Perdiguara, Spain. To Spain we go. Don't they have potato throwing 
extravaganzas. <laughs> it was one of the dry. I mean, can't really hurt that much, right? Unless they're ripe. No, unless they're not ripe. <laughs> oh, no. Well, that's the whole purpose of the thing. You're supposed to do it when they're ripe. So it's all squishy. Playing with your food in the night. I want to go. I want to go. All right. We're at the end of our article. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. I will post this. I will thread this. Yes. Woven together. St. Jose Maria Institute. Attempt number three. Here we go. <laughs> no, I gotta get a beat. Okay.
Show you that song? No. Huh? Want to show you that song? Uh, yeah, but I know how to play the, the guitar without buzz. So, so I'll go like this. Let me show you this. No, no, no. You, you the guy who says trick thing. on Halloween. I just want you to practice this three string. This one, this one, and this no, one. No, I just can't get a clear tone. Oh. Yeah. Sounds like. Clear enough. It has that buzz. Maybe we just need to set up. Yeah. I mean, and maybe you shook it too hard. I feel like the same thing with this one. I think I struck it too hard. Maybe if you do it at the end on that, like towards the end. Yeah. Yeah, but that that's that's open string. really hard for some reason.
Well, no. <coughs> November is in full swing, everybody. Just a week, week in, <coughs> and we have our theme for the week, and it seems to be courts and trials for everybody. So, in prayer for prayerful consideration, <coughs> prayerful consideration, we're going to read from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Statement: Responsibility, rehabilitation, and restoration. A Catholic perspective on crime and criminal justice. Mama. Yes. Can't play with me. I've been playing with you all night, and that's why I missed out. And people are in court, and I gotta pray. Okay. All right. Is that okay with you? Can I just read a short one from JP the second right here? We are still a long way from the time when our conscience can be certain of having done everything possible to prevent crime and to control it effectively, so that it no longer does harm, and at the same time to offer to those who commit crimes a way of redeeming themselves and making a positive return to society. If all those in some way involved in the problem tried to. You're stuck? Okay, great. Develop those. This line of thought, perhaps. To me. I need to finish a sentence. Perhaps humanity as a whole can take a great step forward in creating a more serene and peaceful society. Pope John Paul II, July nine two thousand. Better. All right, great. I love you, Mama. Hmm. It's a long thing. Oh my goodness. You keep singing and I'll keep reading. How about that? Okay. okay. As Catholic bishops, our responsibility to crime in the United States is a moral test of our nation and a challenge for our state. Although the FBI reports that the crime rate is falling. Crime and fear of crime still touch many lives and polarize many communities, putting more people in prison and sadly more people to death. Has not given Americans the security we seek. It is time for a new national dialogue on crime and corrections, justice, and mercy, responsibility, and treatment. As Catholics, we need to ask the following. How can we restore our respect for law and life? How can we protect and rebuild communities, confront crime without vengeance, and defend life without taking life? These questions challenge us as pastors and as teachers of the gospel. Our task are to restore a sense of civility and responsibility to everyday life, and promote crime prevention and genuine rehabilitation. The common good is undermined by criminal behavior that threatens the lives and. I gotta share this. This is too good. All right, it's too long for me to read. Okay, bye. Ave Maria, help me, Lord. I don't know what to do with this kid. Today is one 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 one. I need to pray to our guardian angels for all my kids. Because they want to get mad and they don't want to share. Listen, I don't know what to do. They won't let me eat their food. They get mad at the littlest things, and they stay mad. 
I say sorry. I try to make amends. This is kids for you, baby. Babies. These are babies. What do you want me to do? There's no way for me to make you feel better, so there's nothing I can do. You want me to call daddy and tell him that you're angry at me for eating your food? And then what? Are you going to feel better? You want daddy to scream at me, hit me? Is that what will make you feel better? What will make you feel Why don't you hit me? Hit me. Hurt me. Will that make you feel better? What will make you feel better? For doing something you should not be doing. Getting mad at p sharing food. You should share food. Ask daddy. Is it right to share or not? Call him right now. All right. It's been that kind of a day. But I'm back. I'm going to finish my prayer. And then I'm going to read you some stories. Because people are just undereducated and complaining about stuff they don't understand and not the right way. All right. We need to complain the right way. Okay, wait. Lord, help us. Prayer when unable to assist at daily Mass. I went to Mass today. No worries. Novena to one's guardian angel. Yes. Well, you know what? Let, let's do a novena because I can never do a novena. I'm... That's scatterbrained, so you can hold me accountable, anybody listening. Today's day one, because it's the 11th of November. <laughs> All right, one, 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 day one. I can do that. I can remember that. That's simple enough. A novena is made by saying a prayer for nine days in succession. It's not that long, so I'm, I'm just going to take a picture of it. I'm gonna... Hold me accountable, people. Hold me accountable. I need, I need some help here, people. It's like an AA for procrastinators. How about that? Good enough? Yeah, all right. Novena prayer to one's guardian angel. O holy angel, whom God, by the effect of his goodness and his tender regard for my welfare, has charged with the care of my conduct and who assists me in all my wants and comforts me, oh, who assists me in all my wants, and comforts me in all my afflictions, who supports me when I am discouraged, and continually ob obtains for me new favors. Yes, Lord, please. I return thee profound thanks, and I earnestly beseech thee, O most amiable protector, to continue thy charity and thy charitable care and defense of me against the malignant attacks of all my enemies. Keep me away from all occasions of sin. Obtain for me the grace of listening attentively to thy holy inspirations and of faithfully putting them into practice. In particular, I implore thee to obtain for me the favor which I ask for by this novena. I pray for all veterans of all sacrifices made for the goodness of man.
protect me and woman in all the intentions. Um, uh, uh. Protect me in all the temptations and trials of this life, but more especially at the hour of my death. And do not let, leave me until thou hast conducted me into the presence of my Creator in the mansions of everlasting happiness. Amen. I have one person that I'm especially grateful for. If you go by how significant a sacrifice is, by the immensity of change it caused in that person's life. For every sacrifice has huge amounts of consequences to the rest of your life. And I would be thinking of a person who at five years old would sacrifice their whole life without even the blink of an eye for the truth. Prayer to all guardian angels. <clears throat> o pure and happy spirits, whom the Almighty selected to become the angels and guardians of men, I most humbly prostrate myself before thee to thank thee for the charity and zeal which thou hast thus ex executed this commission. Alas, how many passed a long life without ever thanking their invisible friends, to whom they owe a thousand times their perseveration. O charitable guardians of those souls for whom Christ died, O flaming spirits, who cannot avoid loving those whom Jesus eternally loved, permit me to address thee on behalf of all those committed to thy care, to implore for each of them a grateful sense of thine many favors and also the grace to profit by thine charitable assistance. <clears throat> Angels of those happy infants who are as yet without spot before God, I earnestly beseech thee to preserve their innocence. O angels of youth, conduct them Expose them to, expose to so many dangers safely to the bosom of God. As Tobias was conducted back to his father. O angels of those who employ themselves in the instruction of youth, animate them with thy zeal and love. Teach them to emulate thy purity and continual view of God, that they may worthily and successfully cooperate with the invisible guardians of their young charges. O angels of the clergy, of those who have eternal gospel to preach to them that sit upon the earth, present their words, their actions, and their intentions to God, and purify them in the fire of love that consumes thee. 
angels of the ministries, angels of the missionaries, who have left their native land, yeah, that, and all who were dear to them in order to preach the gospel in foreign fields, protect them from the dangers which threaten them, console their hours of discouragement and solitude. And lead them to choose souls who are in danger of dying without baptism. O、oh, angels of infidels and pagans, whom the true faith has n- never enlightened, intercede for them that they may open their hearts to the rays of grace. Respond to the message delivered by God's missioners and acknowledge and adore the one true God. O angels of all who travel by air, land, or water, by your, their guides and companions, protect them from all dangers of collision, fire, and explosion, and lead them safely to their destination. O guardian sinner, angels, guardian angels of sinners, O guardian angels of sinners. Charitable guides of those unhappy mortals whose perseverance in sin would embitter even thine unutterable joys, wert thou not established in the peace of God. Oh, join me, I ardently beseech thee, in imploring their conversion. O、oh, thou, and thou, O、oh, guardian angels of the sick, I entreat thee especially to help, console, and implore the spirits of joy for all those who are deprived of health, which is among God's most precious gift to man. Intercede for them, that they may not succumb to despondency or lose by impatience the merits they can gain in carrying with. Resignation and joy, the cross which Christ has laid upon them as a special token of his love. O angels of those are at this moment in the agonies of death, strengthen, encourage, and defend them against the attacks of their infernal enemy. O faithful guides, holy spirits, adorers of the divinity, guardian angels of all creatures, protect us all. Teach us to love, to pray, to wage combat on earth, so that one day we may reach heaven and there be happy for all eternity. Amen. O angels of those who are lingering in purgatory, intercede for them that God may permit thee to bring them some balm. Console them that they may know that we are praying for them, and that we ask thee to join in our entreaties. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom his love commits me here. Ever this day, ever this night, be at my side to light and guard, to rule and guide. Amen.
O holy guardian angel, my dear friend and solicitous guide on the dangerous way of life, to thee be heartfelt thanks for the numberless benefits which have been granted me through thy love and goodness and for the powerful help by which thou hast preserved me from so many dangers and temptations. I beg of thee, let me further experience thy love and care. Avert from me all danger. Increase in me horror for sin and love for all that is good. Be a counselor and consoler to me in all the affairs of my life. And when my life draws to a close, conduct my soul through the valley of death into the kingdom of eternal peace, so that in eternity we may together praise God and rejoice in his glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. O angel of God, make me worthy of thy tender love, thy celestial companionship, and thy never-failing protection. Good night, prayer. Good night, my guardian angel. I'm not sleeping yet, but I'm going to read it. Ah, the day has sped away. You know what? I'll come back and read this because it's not night yet. I'll read it when I go to sleep, which usually happens without me knowing because, you know. Anyways, but, okay, I'll be back. I'll try. Listen to conversations. Well, that's why I try to read it like a conversation. I get bored when they do monotonous reading. All right, chap. It wasn't bored. It's just that you wonder why. I don't know. I know. They're, they're like hypnotic voices. All right, I'll read it slower. Section it off. All right. The Gates. Most people's Christianity... Well, this is why I need to talk to you. And if you don't understand it, you let me know. Most people's Christianity is like an old iron bed. Firm. At both ends. And sagging in the middle. Mm -hmm. On one end, you trust Christ as Savior. And get your sins forgiven. Uh Uh-huh. On the other hand, one day you will die and go to heaven. Uh huh. In between, it gets pretty desperate. You have lots of questions that all boil down to one. Where is the abundant life Jesus promised? That's my question. Jesus met a man with such a question. The Bible calls him the rich young ruler. One day, he came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, You know the commandments? Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Eh? Honor your mother and father. The young man replied, I've kept all those commandments. I always say, Jesus wasn't a Baptist preacher. All right, If he had been a Baptist preacher like me, He'd have said, uh, there's no way you could have kept them. You know you've broken them. You know you've looked lustfully at a woman. Jesus didn't say that. He took him at his word. I've kept all those commandments. 
But the real question was still on the man's heart: Where's the life? So where's the life? The same question so many Christians ask today. Yes, I received Christ, but isn't there more to life than what I'm experiencing? Page eighteen. What is true life? Jesus said, "Quote Matthew seven fourteen. The gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life." Unquote. He said, "The life he gives is abundant." Fulfilling, fulfilling, freeing, wonderful, and though there is a gate that leads to this life, Jesus went on to say, "There are few who find it. It's there, it's real, but few find it. I've found that there is a series of gates along the path to life." These gates are the progression from being a completely external person, you know, trying to find life and things and people around us, to being an internal person, finding life in the one who lives within us. These gates are unique to each person. Let me tell you about mine. Before I came to Christ, my whole life. Like everyone's was based on externals. So what do you think? When we are within Christ, hmm? what? What do you think? I, I'm I'm interested. I'm 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 reading. Can you give me a napkin? An, a, a napkin? I'm scooping my popcorn. Scooping. Before I came to Christ, my whole life, like everyone else's, was based on externals. When we are without Christ, we perceive life in things or people, and we live on those externals. I didn't know who I was, except in relation to the external things in my life. I was in my early twenties and took my entire identity from the crowd I hang out with, our dress, our conduct, our activities. On Sunday morning, after a long night in the town, I struggled into church to be with a girl I liked. God lured me. Through a trap called female, quote unquote, <laughs> female. Is that true? Hey,、uh, yeah. You know why? If you understand how a car is made, if you understand how you are made, then you understand how it works. And the devil knows how it works and knows how to. It's a tool. If you understand a tool. <laughs> Anyways, keep going. At that point, I was still outside my first gate. I hadn't even begun the journey from external to internal because I hadn't received Jesus Christ by faith as my Savior. The young preacher that morning was inside that first gate, though. He had received Christ and was proclaiming the good news that quote, Christ died for you. Unquote. As I listened for the first time in my inner being, I knew. For the first time, I had a problem with my in my relationship with God. My sins separated me from Him, and that was a revelation from the Holy Spirit. 
The answer to my problem was that if I trusted Jesus Christ in his death as payment for my sins and in his resurrection from the death, from the dead, God would forgive me. Well, that sounds like a pretty good deal. I could be forgiven by just trusting in Jesus. Looking back, I paint the following figurative picture of that event. It was as if I walked to the gate named, unquote, quote unquote, salvation. You see that big gate? Salvation. Okay. But I was clothed with all the external. Okay. Take a break. What was I saying? What was I saying? Matthew, looking back, I paint the following figurative picture of that event. It was as if I walked up to the gate named Salvation, but I was clothed with all the externals that I wore to give my life meaning. I mean, my peers, my activities, and so forth. None of that clothing, however, none of my externals, could get me through that gate. None of them could address the inner need I felt. I had to shed those clothes if I wanted to get through the gate. Because the gate wasn't wide enough for both me and the clothes. I had to stop trusting in my externals and put my trust only in Christ. So I took off those clothes, my externals, and went through the gate naked because I had nothing to offer God but me. Birthday suit. Walking through the first gate was like putting on a new pair of jeans. I got the vital parts covered. I got my sins forgiven. For the first time, I did not just have externals in my life. I had a true inner identity. I was saved and I was forgiven. But that was all I knew about my new identity. That was good, very good. But the new jeans weren't enough to clothe all of me. Being forgiven was great, but I needed more than that to give my life meaning. I thought I still needed more clothes to cover me up, something else to make my life whole. So I reached for some new externals to add to my wardrobe. I received Christ in the Baptist church, so I put on the identity of Baptist. I began to run around and find out what Baptists believed, what we stood for, and how to conduct my life properly. It was exciting. It's fun when you get a brand new external, like a kid at Christmas who has a new toy. But it doesn't take long to get tired of a new toy, does it? I went to the Baptist college, which I enjoyed. I was learning about the Word of God. I progressed to seminary, but it wasn't as much fun there. I began to spend more time at the gym than at the library. But I studied enough to get through, and now I had a new external identity. Who are you? Uh, I'm Pastor Stone. What are you? Uh, I'm a Baptist. Before, I just had new jeans. Now, I had some more new clothes. My new robes were called Baptist. You've had your own new robes, haven't you? You may have been your job. They, have been, they may have been your job, your church, your family, your activities, your performances, any external you seek life from. At this point, I did have some internal reality, the genes God 
had clothed me with? It's a revelation from God, you know, that Jesus Christ is more than a man, that he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. It's a revelation to know your sins are forgiven. It's a revelation. But I still have a whole lot of externals from which I was seeking for life. My denomination, my vocation, my performance. These were the new clothes I had found for myself. Page 20. Unfortunately, knowing that I was saved and that my sins were forgiven was the only inner reality I knew. Like most Christians, I was trying to live the Christian life on that raw reality. The trouble was, or trouble is, that as far as it is, having your sins forgiven doesn't tell you one thing about how to live the life. The only thing it is that it says is, after you commit a sin, you are forgiven. You don't know anything yet about true life, God's life. So, so life to you is still external. You ask, how do I do it? Give me a plan. Give me a method. Give me a scheme. It's as if the day we received him by faith, Jesus said, uh, now you're saved. Good luck. <laughs> okay, I'll see you when you die and it will be wonderful. But in the here and now, it's up to you. You know, get out there and uh, yeah, try as hard as you can. Ugh, what a struggle. I tried as hard as I could for years. After God had given me enough misery to, re- misery to be a good Baptist, I got to the point where I thought, quote, I've done all of these Baptist things. I've kept your golden rules. I've kept your commandments. Now where's the life? We moved from outer to inner, from seeking life through externals to drawing life from the internal one. By letting the outer become exhausted, we let the outer do what it can do, what it can do but because for a while the outer was, is fun, is exciting. It's life to us until it becomes routine and we have to keep performing to measure up. Finally, though, we say, there's got to be something more. And there is something more. We are meant to be in, we are meant to get to the internal. We can't be content until we get there. We can be momentarily satisfied with a new toy, but we can't be permanently content until we get to the place God means us to get us. So, we drag up near the next gate. Dun, da, 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 door number two. What is behind it? Exhausted by your own self-effort to live the Christian life, we're pleading. Where's the life? The Holy Spirit says to us, there. Yes, there's more. Where is it? We ask. Over there, over here. Good. I want to come. We run up to the gate, but we bump into it and bounce back. Because we can't get through. We still have our own robes on. The externals we are trusting to give us life. The robes, although tattered and worn by now, are too thick to get through the gate. The only way to get through the gate is to take off those externals again. We will never get through a new gate as long as we base our identity and meaning on outer things whatever they may be. Page 21. I approached my second gate in my mid-thirties. I was lying on my bed of affliction, which is called depression. My outer identity, being a Baptist priest, didn't satisfy me anymore. I didn't know where to turn. 
at home in the bed, I had the shades down and the curtains drawn over the shades and the room was still wasn't dark enough for me. So I was under the covers because I was trying to get the room as dark as I was. As dark as I was. Some friends called, though, and asked to lead a retreat. There's one thing a preacher, a Baptist preacher can't resist. That's an invitation to speak. I don't care if he's on oxygen. He'll manage to preach. So I said, I'll be there. Most of the people at the retreat were from my hometown church, but I hadn't seen them in like 20 years. I still hadn't moved on beyond my first gate. I was primarily preaching salvation, how to receive Christ. I was talking about many different things, but all I truly knew was salvation. I was supposed to be teaching these folks, but I was watching them, and to my surprise, they were teaching me. These weren't the same people I had left 20 years before. God had been moving on on in them, had been moving on in them, but he hadn't gone any further in me yet. I called Barbara, my wife, and told her, something's happened to your friends. They're different. I'm like you. I have a heart for God, just like you do. If we sense something is real and we are hungry, we want it. Whatever my friends had, I wanted it. At that time, the extent of my inner knowing was Christ died for me. My friend's inner knowing was Christ is with me and he's in me to help me. That's as far down the pike. That was farther down the pike than I was. So I thought. This was the next thing to come along for me. I was going to grab it. Sounds like this guy's going down the doors. What do you think? You want to keep reading or no? Your choice. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? I'm going to skip. He's going to talk about charismatic revival. So I know about all these things. I've seen these things throughout all you know my life. But if you haven't and you want to understand what Baptist life was like, then this would be a good book to keep reading on. Baptist. Yeah, because then they get... It's kind of like the part uh, three of the Perfect Stranger series, actually. Yeah, you know what? Let's just go watch a movie. Wait, what about the movie? This sounds like the first part of the... This sounds sounds like the Perfect Stranger part three movie so far from the book. He he did write that, too. Yes. So. So let's watch the movie instead of me reading the book. Or would you like to read about the same book now? Would you like me to keep reading or no? Okay, so basically it's about a Baptist. Yes. His life. I guess. Is it a good one? Uh, do you like it so far? To be honest, it does just sound like some some guy who wasn't, who was innate, well, wasn't, I guess, agnostic. I can't really tell. I guess some agnostic guy who turned Baptist. It just sounds like his life story. So far, yeah. Let's see where it goes from there. It's called the rest of the gospel. So, you gotta explore. If you're not born into the, you know, Catholic church, then you're born in another church. Or you're, you're born into whatever you're born into, and you find your way. It's a maze. The whole point is everybody find their way back to the source. I just don't, I just don't like reading Protestant materials because I don't. All right, fine. Let's read another book of his. You know what I mean? I could. All right. What do you want to read? I mean, it depends on where you're at. Okay, I would recommend, ideally, to go straight for the truth first. Red letters. Once you understand him, 
his words, why he did what he did. Then you start seeing and adding to the movie. Uh, imagine you're making a movie of everything that he's saying in your head, but you want to be like VR living it. You have to add in a lot of detail and you'd have to do a lot of homework and research to answer all the questions. Why did he say that? What did he, what, what was he thinking? What were people's reactions? Why was he saying it particularly that way? And you, who was there? And what was the scenario? What happened before and what happened after? All these things, you add to it, but you got to start somewhere. So it all depends on your, your part of the journey. For me right now, uh, you know, I want to I wanna reach out. I, I did all I can inside the church, and I need other people's input to understand what their question is. Because if you're not raised in that culture or that family or that whatever, you have no idea what their thinking is like. And... To me, I shouldn't judge something I don't know anything about. So the best part is that's why he said he sent them out. He said, "Don't don't bring anything with you. Why? Because you if you you you're gonna depend on other people. Well, why should I depend on other people? I'm I'm trying to give them goodness. No, because that it's like a jigsaw puzzle. It's an opportunity for you to build a relationship. If you need nothing from them and they need nothing from you, then not, there's no opportunity for you guys to talk, to, you gotta, to, to go through hard situations and learn how to trust person. Look, if somebody's willing to, to get in harm's way to save you, even if it's a little thing or a big thing, then instantly, you right? And more of those situations happen, that's how you gain trust with somebody. It's not a promise. They did it. It's not, you don't have to wait for it. You, you don't. You see what I'm saying? That's why time will tell. But you got to go through stuff together and see how that person will stand up in that situation. I can say I'll take a bullet for you, but I don't have to say anything if I took a bullet for you. Page 12, chapter 14, he has unstopped his ears to hearken to our prayers and has silenced the gloating of our enemies. The barren one has become a mother bringing forth joy and celebration to Israel. For behold the gifts that I have brought to offer to my Lord. And powerless were my adversaries to stop me. For you see, God has opened their hearts to me and given me eternal gladness. And after her parents had offered her up their sacrifices and completed their pledge, even as the law directs, they left the virgin in the temple housing with the other virgins who were to be brought up there, and they returned to their own home, exulting in the Lord, amazed that the girl did not turn back. Now, it was during that same year that Anna was widowed. Anna and Emmerina were sisters, you see, and Emmerina was the mother of Elizabeth, who brought forth John the Baptist. Yeah, that one. And because Anna, the mother of the blessed Mary, was so beautiful, she married Cleophas by order of the Lord after Joachim had passed away. Now, within a year, she bore a second daughter, 
through Cleophas, whom she likewise named Mary. Anna then gave this Mary over to Alphaeus to wed, and she later bore him James, son of Alphaeus. And also Philip, his brother, her second husband, Cleophas, also died before the child could be born. So an angel commanded her to take a third husband, by whom she bore her third daughter, Salome, whom she would also refer to as Mary. Anna then gave her in marriage to Zebedee, through whom she bore the sons of Zebedee, James and John the Evangelist. Next section entitled, Mary in the Temple. Jerusalem, referencing Luke, be Mary, P-E-V, Psalm, M-T-Q-U-R, Q-B-A-R, and L-J-B. I don't know what those mean, so I'm hoping you will. If you do, please speak up. Thank you. With the aid of God and his divine guidance, we begin to write about the life of that holy man, John the Baptist, the son of Zechariah. May he intercede on our behalf. Amen. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was this Levite priest of Abijah's course, whose name was Zechariah of the tribe of Judah. He was a prophet who rose at that time from among the children of Israel. He had a God-loving wife whose name was Elizabeth, and she was the daughters. She was of the daughters of the line of Aaron, of the tribe of Levi. Both were righteous in God's sight and blamelessly lived according to all of the Lord's commandments and ordinances. And because they had grown old and Elizabeth was barren, they remained without children. Mary's Lord graciously accepted her and placed her under the care of Zechariah. And everyone in Israel held her in the highest of regard. By the time that she was three, she walked so gracefully, spoke so fittingly, and praised God so passionately that everyone was impressed by her. So amazed were they, in fact, that she was not thought of as a child at all, but even as a 30-year-old adult. And as the Lord's virgin matured, he modeled her into an exemplary child. She grew more holy every day and was the fulfillment of the scripture written in Psalms that reads, Her parents delivered her over, but the Lord nurtured her. And she remained continuously in prayer. So truly beautiful and splendid was her appearance that one could hardly look at her in the face. She always kept herself busy with her wool working, so much so, as a matter of fact, that from her youth, she could do everything that even the elderly woman could not. And this was her daily schedule. 
From dawn until the third hour, she would pray. From the third until the ninth, she would weave. And from the ninth hour on, she would return to her prayers. She would not stop until an angel of the Lord would visit her, at which point she would eat food right out of his hand. Every day she spoke with them, and every day she received visitors from God, which kept her from every form of evil and caused her to overflow with the riches of blessings. It was in this way that she became ever more perfect in the work of God. And she never rested a bit from praising God, even when the older virgins would leave off, so that when it came to exaltations and vigils to God, no one was found to surpass her. Nor indeed were any more knowledgeable in the wisdom of God's law. No one was more meek or modest. None could sing more beautifully nor was any more complete in virtue. Chapter 16. Truly, she was steady, unmoving, and constant. And each day she grew closer to perfection. No one ever saw her get angry or heard her speak wickedly. Her speech was marked by such eloquence that it was quite clear that God was in her tongue. She prayed without ceasing and diligently searched the law, ever mindful, lest with so much as a single word she should sin against any of her companions. She was convinced that through her laughter or the sound of her melodious voice, she should cause offense, or that her elation should perchance betray any misconduct or arrogance on her part to one of her companions. She glorified God ceaselessly, and if anyone ever greeted her, she would simply respond, give thanks to God, that she might never have to leave off. And this was where the custom among men of saying, Give thanks to God. When greeting one another came from, she nourished herself exclusively on the food that the angel would hand feed her daily. And would distribute every morsel that the priest would give her to the poor. The angels of God were frequently seen talking with her and would obey her without question. If anyone was sick, ever touched her, he would return home healed that very hour. One day, Mary related, one day, while I was living in God's temple and receiving my food from an angel's hand, someone who had the appearance of an angel revealed himself to me, but I could not make out his face. 
and he did not have a cup or any bread in his hand like the angel did that came before. Right away, the temple's veil was ripped in two, and the earth shook with tremendous force. And because I could not look at him, I fell to the ground. But he reached beneath me and lifted me up. And I looked into the heavens, and behold, a dewy cloud came down and drenched me from head to my feet. And with his robe, he dried me off. The angel greeted me, saying to me, Hello there, you favored one and chosen vessel. Everlasting mercy to you. Then he struck the right hand side of his robe and out came a giant loaf and he placed it on the altar of the temple. Ate therefrom and gave some to me. Once again, he struck his robe on the left side left-hand side, and out came a giant cup that was brimming with wine. He placed it on the temple's altar, drank therefrom, and gave some of it to me. Then I looked at them again, and I saw that the bread and wine had been restored to the way they were before. And he said to me, three years from now, I will send you my word and you will bear me, my son. He will renew everything in all of creation. My beloved, go in peace and my peace will be with you. Oh, and after telling me all these things, he disappeared before my eyes. And the temple was restored to the way it was before. Page 15, Abiathar asks Mary to wed his son. The temple, Jerusalem, picture it. Now when Mary turned 12, the priests all got together and said, Behold, Mary is now 12 years old. What are we to do with her? For we do not wish to see the pollution of the holy place of the Lord, our God. Abiathar the priest offered numerous gifts to the other high priests in exchange for Mary's hand in marriage to his son. But Mary utterly refused, 
saying, It could never be that I should ever know a man, or that a man should ever know me. All of the priests and her family, as well, kept saying to her, God is shown love through children and is worshipped in progeny, even as it has ever been among the children of Israel. God is worshipped through chastity. Oh, sorry. God is worshipped through chastity, answered Mary. This was first demonstrated through Abel, before whom there was none among mankind who was righteous. God was pleased with his offerings. But Abel was mercilessly slain by one who did not please him. He received two crowns as his reward, one for his offering and one for his virginity, since his body remained unsullied. And since Elijah also kept his body undefiled the whole time that he was in the flesh, he was taken up therein. And now, since I have been in God's temple from the time of my youth, I have come to learn that virginity can be pleasing to God. So because I am able to offer to God the thing that he holds dear, in my heart of hearts, I have firmly decided that I ought never to know any man. Mary goes to live as Joseph's ward. Picture it, Bethlehem. Now, there was this elderly man named Joseph, who was the family and the city of King David, the Judean town of Bethlehem. This man was trained in all knowledge and wisdom and had been made a priest in the Lord's temple. He was skilled in the carpenter's trade. And he took a wife, as other men do, fathering four sons, whose name was Judas, Justice, James, and Simon, and also two daughters, whose names were Asiya and Lydia. In due course, the wife of the righteous Joseph, a woman who was bent on holiness in all that she did, passed away. But that vulnerable man Joseph, his my father, according to the flesh, and husband to my mother, Mary, went off to his business and practiced carpentry with his sons. Now my blessed, holy, and unblemished mother, Mary, was already 12 years old by the time the honorable Joseph had become a widower. Her parents had dedicated her to the temple when she was three, you see, 
and for nine years she lived in the temple of the Lord. Then, when the priests recognized that the saintly and God-loving virgin was coming of age, they talked it over with one another. Let us try and find a just and pious man, they agree, to whom we may entrust Mary until such time as she should wed, just in case what normally happens among women should take place within her while housed in it. For should we fail to do this thing, we might bring God's wrath down upon ourselves. So they promptly sent word and assembled 12 elderly men from the line of Judah. They wrote out the names of the 12 Israelite tribes, and the lot fell upon the elderly, devout, and upright Joseph. Now, when at last the priests were resolved, they said to my blessed mother, Go to Joseph and remain with him until it's time for you to wed. So the righteous Joseph accepted my mother and took her away to his home. And my mother found the lesser James heartbroken and cast down over the recent loss of his mother. And so she looked after him in his father's house. And this is why Mary is spoken of as the mother of James. From that time forward, Joseph left her at home and went away to his carpenter's shop and practiced his trade. And after living in his home for two years from that time that he took her in, Mary was 14 years of age. Mary ordered to wed. Picture it, the temple in Jerusalem. And it happened that by the time Mary had reached the age of 14, every upright person who had ever met her respected her lifestyle and manner of living. And no malicious person could accuse her of any wrongdoing. Then the Pharisees affirmed that because she had turned 14, and because it had been such a long-standing practice, no woman who had reached that particular age should remain within the temple of God. So the high priest issued this decree. All 14-year-old virgins who have reached physical maturity, who reside in the temple's public housing, should return to their own homes and seek to be wed in accordance with the custom of their nation. Mary, the Lord's virgin, was the only one to refuse. Even though the other virgins were eager to comply, saying that she could not for the following reasons, that both she and her parents had given her to the Lord's service, and that, moreover, she had pledged her virginity to the Lord, which was a vow that she was determined never to break by sleeping with a man. This was, well, this put the high priest in a difficult position because he realized that he could not 
annul the vow. Disobeying the scripture that reads, "Vow and pay." Nor did he wish to set a precedent that would seem foreign to the people. So, he ordered all of the prominent people of Jerusalem and its surrounding areas to convene during the approaching feast and to offer up their recommendations as the most prudent option for such a difficult situation. After they had gathered together, he said to them, "Look." Mary has turned fourteen in the temple of the Lord. What should we do to keep her from polluting the Lord's temple? They all agreed that it would be best to consult the Lord and to seek His advice. They therefore said to the high priest, "You serve at the Lord's altar. Enter to the sanctuary and pray with regard to her situation." And we will comply with whatever the Lord should reveal to you. They all joined together in prayer, and the high priest took the breastplate of right of judgment. The breastplate of judgment entered into the holy of holies and prayed her circumstances over. Then, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said. Zachariah, Zachariah, go and gather all of the widowers from among the people. And all who were there heard a voice coming from the ark and the mercy seat, which said that the virgin ought to be betrothed to the one determined, according to the prophecy out of the book of Isaiah. For Isaiah says, "A staff will proceed from the stem of Jesse, and a flower will bud from its root, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit that enkindles wisdom and understanding, the spirit that delivers power and instruction, the spirit that conveys knowledge and virtue." And the spirit that inspires and all of the Lord will direct him. And so it happened that they came across the idea of sending a herald out to the Israelite tribes and gathering them together in the Lord's temple on the third day. Joseph, chosen to take Mary. Global Language Resources Inc. Books one through ten of Milton, Paradise Lost, two hundred and fourteen pages. Book one, 
Stanza one. Of man's first disobedience and the fruit of that forbidden tree, whose mortal task brought death into the world, and all our foe was lost of Eden. Till one greater man restore us and regain the blissful seat, sing heavenly muse, that on the secret top of Oreb, or of Sinai. Didst inspire that shepherd who first taught the chosen seed, in the beginning how the heavens and earth rose out of chaos, or if Zion Hill, the light, the moor, and Silo's brook that flowed fast by the oracle of God, I thence invoke thy aid. To my adventurous song, that with no middle flight intends to soar above the Aeonian Mount, while it pursues things unattempted yet in prose or rhyme, and chiefly thou, O spirit, that dost prefer before all temples the upright heart and pure. Instruct me. Instruct me, for thou knowest. Thou from the first wast present, and with mighty wings outspread, dove-like, satest brooding, on the vast abyss, and maddest it pregnant. What in me is dark, illumine. What is low, rise, and support. That, to the height of this great argument, I may assert the eternal providence, and justify the ways of God to men. Safe, safe. First, for heaven's hide, nothing from thy view, nor the deep track of hell. Say first, what cause moveth our grandparents in that happy state, favored of heaven so highly to fall off from their Creator, and transgress His will for one restraint? Lords of the world, beside. Who first seduced them to that foul revolt? The infernal serpent, he it was, whose guile stirred up with envy and revenge, deceived the mother of mankind. What time his pride had cast him out from heaven, with all his host of rebel angels, by whose aid inspiring. To set himself in glory, above his peers, he trusted to have equal the Most High. If he opposeth, and with ambitious aim, against the throne and monarchy of God, riseth impious war in heaven, and battle proud with vain attempt, 
him. The almighty power hurled headlong, flaming from the ethereal sky with hideous ruin and combustion down to bottomless perdition, there to dwell in adamantine chains and penal fire. Who durst defy? the omnipotent to arms. Nine times the space that measures day and night. To mortal men, he with his horrid crew lay vanquished, rowling in the fury gulf, confounded, though immortal. But his doom reserveth him to more wrath. For now the thought of both of loss, happiness, and lasting pain torments him. Round he throws his baleful eyes that witness huge affliction and dismay. Mint with abdurate pride and steadfast hate. At once, as far as angels can, he views the dismal situation, waste and wild. A dungeon horrible, on all sides round, as one great furnace flameth, yet from those flames no light, but rather darkness, visible, serveth only to discover sights of woe, regions of sorrow. Doleful shades where peace and rest can never dwell. Hope never comes that comes to all, but torture without end still urges. And in a fury, deluge, fed with ever burning sulfur unconsumed. Such place eternal justice had prepared for those rebellious. Here their prison ordained in utter darkness and their portion set as far removed from God and light of heaven as from the center thrice to the utmost pole. And how unlike the place from whence they fell were the companions of his fall overwhelmed with, with floods and whirlwinds of tempestuous fire. He soon discerns and well trimmed by his side, one next himself in power and next in crime. Long after known in Palestine and named Beelzebub, Beelzebub, to whom the arch enemy and thence in heaven calleth Satan. With bold words, breaking the horrid silence, thus began. If thou beest he, but oh, how fallen, how changeth from him, who in the happy realms of light, clothed with Transcendent brightness did us outshine myriads, though bright. If he whom mutual league 
united thoughts and counsels, equal hope and hazard in the glorious enterprise. Joined with me once, now misery hath joined an equal ruin. In that pit thou seest from that highth fallen, so much the stronger provide he with this, with his thunder. Until then, who knew the force of those dire arms? Yet not for those, nor what the potent victor in his rage can else inflict do I repent or charge or change. Though changeth in outward luster that fixeth mind in high disdain from sense of injured merit, that with the mightiest riseth me to contend and to the fierce contention brought along innumerable force of spirits armed that durst dislike his reign and me preferring his utmost power with adverse power opposed in dubious battle in the plains of heaven and shook his throne. What though the field be lost, though the field be lost, all is not lost. The unconquerable will, the study of revenge, immortal hate and Courage never to submit or yield. And what is else not to be overcome? <clears throat> that glory never shall his wrath or might extort from me. To bow and sue for grace, to bow and sue for grace with suppliant knee, and defy his power, who from the terror of this arm solely doubted his empire, that were low indeed, that were in ignominy and shame beneath this downfall, since by fate the strength of gods and his imperial substance cannot fail. Since through experience of this great event, his arms not worse in foresight, much advanced, we may with more successful hope resolve to wage by force or guile eternal war, irreconcilable to our grand foe who now triumphs in, and in the excess of joy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on fire. Now who triumphs and in the excess of joy, soul reigning holds the tyranny of heaven. So spake the apostate angel, though in pain, vaunting aloud, 
but racked with deep despair. And thus, and him thus answered soon his bold compeer, O prince, O chief of many throned powers, that led the embattled seraphim to war, under thy conduct, and in dreadful deeds fearless, endangered heaven's perpetual king, and to and put to proof his high supremacy, whether upheld by strength or chance or fate, too well, too well I see and rue the dire event that with sad overthrow and foul defeat hath lost us heaven. And all this mighty host and horrible destruction lay thus low as far as gods and heavenly essences can perish for the mind and spirit remains invincible and rigorous and vigor soon returns though all our glory extinct and happy state here swallowed up in endless misery but what if he, our conqueror, whom I now of force believe almighty, since no less than such could have overpowered such force as ours, have left us this our spirit and strength entire, strongly to suffer and support our pains, that we may so suffice his vengeful ire. Or, or do him mightier service as his thralls by right of war. Whatever his business be in the heart of hell to work in fire. Or do his errands in the gloomy deep. What can it then avail though yet we feel strength undiminished. For eternal being to undergo eternal punishment? Oh, where to with speedy words the arch fiend replieth? Fallen, cherubim, to be weak is miserable doing or suffering. But of this be sure, to do aught good never be, to do aught good never will be our task. But ever to do ill our soul delight, as being the contrary to his high will. Whom we resist. If then his providence out of our evil seek to bring forth good, our labor must be to prevent, pervert, pervert that end, and out of good still to find 
means of evil, which at times may succeed, so as perhaps shall grieve him if I fail not, and disturb his inmost counsels from their destined aim. But see the anger Victor hath recalled. His ministers of vengeance in pursuit, back to the gates of heaven, the sulfurous hail shot after us in storm. O'er blown hath laid the fiery surge that from the precipice of heaven receiveth us falling, and the thunder. Winged with red lightning and impetuous rage, perhaps hath spent his shafts, and ceases now to bellow through the vast boundless deep. Let us not slip the occasion, whether scorn or satiate fury yielded from our foe. Seest thou yon dreary plain, forlorn and wild, the seat of desolation, void of light? Save that glimmering of these livid flames, cast pale and dreadful. Thither well, let us tend from us the tossing of these fiery ways. Their rest, if any rest can harbor there, and resembling our afflicted powers, consult how we may henceforth most offend our enemy, our most lost, how repair. How overcome this dire calamity? What reinforcement we may gain from hope, if not what resolution from despair? Thus, Satan talking to his nearest mate. With head full lift above the wave, and eyes that sparkle blazed, his other parts besides proned on the flood, extended long and large lay floating many a rood, in bulk as huge, as whom the fables name of monstrous size, Titanian, or earthborn, that warreth on Jove. Briarios or Typhon, whom the den by ancient Tarsus held, or that sea beast Leviathan, which God of all his works created, hugest that swim the ocean stream, him haply slumbering on the Norway foam, the pilot of some small night founder skiff, deeming some island off. As seamen tell, that fixed anchor in his scattering, moors by his side under the lee, while night invests the sea, and wished morn delays. So stretched out huge in length, the ark fiend lay chained on the burning lake, nor ever thence had risen. Or heavened his head 
but that the will and high permission of all ruling heaven left him at large to his own dark designs. With that reiterated crimes, he might heap on himself damnation. While he sought evil to others, and enraged might see how all his malice serveth but to bring forth infinite goodness, grace, and mercy. Sean on men, sown on men by him seduced, but on himself treble confusion, wrath and vengeance poureth. Forthwith upright he rears from off the pool his mighty stature. On each hand the flames driven backward slope their pointy spires, and rolled in billows leave I the mister horrid veil. Then with expanded wings he steers his flight aloft, incumbent on the dusty air. That flight, unusual weight, till on dry land he lights, if it were land that ever burned, with solid as the lake with liquid fire. And such appeareth in hue, as when the force of subterranean winds transports a hill torn from Polarus. For the shattered side of thundering Etna, whose combustible and fewelled enthralls, thence conceiving fire, sublimed with mineral fury, aid the winds and leave a singet bottom all involved with stench and smoke. Such resting found the soul of unblessed feet. He followed his next mate, but glorying to have scalped the Stygian flood as gods, and by their own recovered strength, not by the sufferance of supernatural power, not by the sufferance of supernatural power. Region, this the soil, the clime, climbing, said then the lost archangel, this the seed that we must change for heaven, this mournful gloom for that celestial light, be it so, since he who now is sovereign can dispose and bid what shall be right, farthest from him is best, whom reason hath equaled, force hath made supreme above his equals. 
Farewell, Happy Fields. APR, what's that? I don't know. Farewell, Happy Fields. Farewell. Where joy ever forever dwells. Hail, horrors. Hail, infernal world, and thou prowest. Profound as hell, receive thy new possessor. One who brings a mind not to be changed by place or time. The mind in its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell, a hell of heaven. What matter where, if I be still the same and what I should be? All but less than he whom thunder had made greater. Here at least we shall be free. The Almighty hath not built here, for his envy will not drive us hence. Here we may reign secure, and in my choice to reign is worth ambition, though in hell. Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven, eh? But wherefore let we then our faithful friends the associates and co-partners of our laws lie thus astonished on the oblivious pool and call them not to share with us their part in this unhappy mansion or once more with rallied arms to try what may be yet regained in heaven or what more lost in hell. So Satan spake, and him Beelzebub thus answered, Leader of those armies bright, which but the omnipotent nun could have fold, foiled. If once they heard that voice, their liveliest pledge of hope and fears and dangers, heard so often worst extremes, and on the perilous edge of battle when it raged, in all assaults, their surest signal. They will soon resume new courage and revive, though now they lie, groveling and prostrate, on yon lake of fire. As we erewhile, astonished and amazed, no wonder me, fallen such a pernicious height, He scarce had ceased when the superior fiend was moving towards the shore. His ponderous shield, ethereal temper, massy, large and round, beneath him cast, and broad circumference hung on his shoulders like the moon, whose orb threw up to glass the Tuscan artist views at evening from the top of Fisol or in Valderno to descry new lands, to descry new lands, rivers or mountains on her spotty globe, his spear to equal 
which the tallest pine hewn in Norwegian hills to be the mast of some great admiral. We're but a wand. He walketh with support. He walketh with to support uneasy steps over the burning miley. Not like those steps on heaven's azure. And the torrid climb, smoke on him, sour besides, vaulted with fire. Nathless he so endured, till on the beach of that inflamed sea he stood and called his legions angel forms. Who lay entranced, thick as autumnal leaves that strow the brooks in Valambrosa, where the Etrurian shades high over art embower or scattered siege afloat. When with fierce winds Orion armed hath vexed the Red Sea coast, whose waves o'er through Busiris and his Memphian chivalry, <laughs> while with perfidious hatred they pursued the sojourners of Goshen, they beheld from the safe shore their floating carcasses and broken chariot wheels, so thick, but strong, abject, and lost lay these. Covering the flood, under amazement of their hideous change, he called so loud that all the hollow, hollow, hollow deep of hell resounded. Princes, potentates, warriors, and the flower of heaven, once yours, now lost. If such astonishment. As this can seize eternal spirits. If such astonishments as this can seize eternal spirits, or have ye chosen this place after the toil? Of battle to repose your wearied virtue, for the ease you find to slumber here, as in the vales of heaven. <laughs> Or in this abject posture have ye sworn to adore the conqueror, who now beholds Chatham and Sadoff. Rowling in the flood with scattered arms and ensigns, insignias, till anon his swift pursuers from heaven's gate discern the advantage and descending tread us down, thus drooping, or with linked thunderbolts transfix us to the bottom of this gulf. Awake, arise, or be for ever fallen. They heard and were abashed, and up they sprung upon the wing, 
and when men want to watch on duty, sleeping found by whom they dread, rouse and bestir themselves ere well awake, nor did they not perceive the evil plight in which they were, or the fierce pains not feel. Yet to their general's voice they soon obeyed, innumerable, as when the potent rod of Amram's son in Egypt's evil day waved round the coast, up called a pity cloud of locusts warping on the eastern wind that o'er the realm of impious Pharaoh hung like night and darkened all the land of Nile. So numberless were those bad angels seen hovering on wing under the cope of hell, twixt upper, nether, and surrounding fires. Till, as a signal given, the uplifted spear of their great sultan waving to direct their course, in even balance down they light on the firm brimstone and fill all the plain, a multitude like which the populous north poureth never from her frozen loins to pass Rhine or the Danube. When her barbarous sons came like a deluge on the south and spread beneath Gibraltar, to the Libyan sands. Forthwith, from every squadron and each band, the heads and leaders thither hast, where stood their great commander? God-like shapes and forms excelling human, princely dignities and powers that erst in heaven sat on thrones. Though of their names and heavenly records now be no memorial, blotted out, erased, and erased by their rebellion from the books of life, nor had they yet among the sons of Eve got them new names till wandering o'er the earth. Through God's high sufferance for the trial of man, by falsities and lies, the greatest part of mankind, they corrupt to forsake God, their creator. And the invisible glory of him that made them to transform oft to the image of a brute, adorned with gay religious religions full of pomp and gold and devils to adore for deities. Then were they known to men by various names and various idols through the heathen world. Say, muse, their names be then who first, who last, rouseth from the slumber on that fury couch, and their great emperor's call, as next in worth, come singly where he stood on the buyer's strand, while the promiscuous crowd stood yet aloof. The chief were those who put the pit of hell roaming to seek their prey on earth, thirst fixed their seats long after next the seat of God, their altars by his altar. God's adored among the nations round and durst abide Jehovah thundering out of Zion, throned between the cherubim. Yea, often placed within the sanctuary itself, their shrines.
abominations. And with cursed things, his holy rites, and solemn feasts profaned, and with their darkness thirst affront his light. Okay, I'm going to stop reading now because I'm kind of disturbed by what I'm reading. Bye. All right, for this story time, we are featuring the complete works, authorized edition, of Mark Twain, famous American writer, in his very popular The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, Adventures of a Young Boy Who Can't Relate to That. Everybody can. Harper and Brothers, New York. <clears throat> Copy written in, 19, in 1884. And again and again and again until 1918 by the Mark Twain Company. Are you really going to read all the, like, can you get to the story? Yep, let's get to the story. Okay, bye-bye. Skipping the notice, the explanation. It's called Huckleberry Finn, Chapter 1. Discover Moses and the bulrushes. Bulrushers. Don't you know about me without... You have a read a book about the name, about the adventures of Tom Sawyer? Aw, but that ain't no matter. That book was made by Mark Twain, and he told the truth mainly. There was things which he stretched, but mainly he told the truth. That is nothing. I never seen anybody but lie one time or another. Without it was uh, Aunt Polly or the widow or maybe Mary. Aunt Polly, you know, Tom, Tom's Aunt Polly, she is, and Mary. And the yeah. widow Douglas is all told about in that book, which is mostly a true book with some stretchers, as I said before. Anyways, now, the way that the book winds up is this. Tom and me found the money that the robbers hid in the cave. And it made us rich. We got $6,000 apiece, all gold. Oh, it was an awful sight of money when it was piled up. Well, Judge Thatcher, he took it. And he put it out at interest. And it fetched us a dollar a day apiece all year round. More than a body could tell what to do with it. <clears throat> the widow Douglas, she took me for her son and allowed, and allowed she would civilize me. Well, but it was rough living in the house all the time. Considering how dismal, regular, and decent the window was in her ways. <clears throat> in all her ways. And so, when I couldn't stand it no longer, I lit out. I got into my old rags and my sugar hans head again and was free and satisfied. But Tom Sawyer, he hunted me up and said he was going to start a band of robbers. Oh, and I might join if I would go back to the widow and be respectable. Well, so I went back. The widow, she cried over me. And called me a poor lost lamb. And she called me a lot of other names <laughs> too, but she never meant no harm by it. She put me in them new clothes again. And I couldn't do nothing but sweat and sweat and feel all cramped up. Well then, 
The old thing commenced again. The widow rang a bell for supper, and you had to come to time. I told that. When you got to the table, you couldn't go right to eating. You had to wait for the widow to tuck down her head and grumble a lot, a little over the victuals, though there weren't really anything the matter with them. That is, nothing. Only everything was cooked by itself. Anyways, in a barrels of odds and ends, it is different. Things get mixed up, and the juice cans of swaps around, and things go better. After supper, she got out her book and learned me about Moses and the bulrushes, and I was in a sweat to find out all about him. But by and by, she let it out that Moses had died, <laughs> had been dead, a considerable long time. So then I didn't care no more about him. Because I don't take no stock in dead people. Pretty soon, I wanted to smoke. And asked the widow to let me. But she wouldn't. <clears throat> she said it was a mean practice. And it wasn't clean. And I must try to not do it anymore. Well, that was just the way with some people. They get down on a thing when they don't know nothing about it. Here she was, bothering about Moses, which was no kin to her and no use to anybody, but gone. Being gone, you see, yet finding the, a power of fault with me for doing a thing that I had some good in it. <clears throat> and she took snuff, too. Of course, that was all right, because she'd done it herself. Her sister, Miss Watson... A tolerable slim old maid with goggles on had just come to live with her and took a set at me now with a spelling book. She worked me middle and hard for about an hour and then the widow made her ease up. I couldn't stand it much longer. Then, for an hour, it was deadly dull and I was fidgety. Miss Watson would say, don't put your feet up there, Huggleberry. And, oh, don't stretch up like that, Huggleberry. Sit up straight. And pretty soon, she would say, don't cap and stretch like that, Huggleberry. Don't you try to behave. Why don't you try to behave? Then she told me all about the bad place. And I said, I wish I was there. She got mad at that. Oh. But I didn't mean no harm. What is this, well, this is how stories go, baby. <laughs> this is how they have to begin the backstory to set the scene. But all I wanted was to go somewheres. But this is the main character that's named after him, Huckleberry Finn. So he's telling, he's giving you, he's setting, he's telling you. A little bit about his life, where he came from, how he grew up, yeah, what he had to deal with. You really have to use that southern voice. What would you like? The regular voice? It's a man. Ah, uh, yeah, I guess. Okay, um, not southern voice. Okay. But it's written with a southern voice, so it just makes more sense. Okay, do the southern voice. I get it. Okay.
Oh, now you made me lose my place. What the heck? Uh, all I wanted was to go somewheres. All I wanted was a change. I weren't particular. She said it was, oh, what? No, Huckleberry, oh, don't do that. Okay, right here. Can't you behave? Then she told me all about the bad place. And I said, I wish I was there. She got mad at then. But I didn't mean no harm. All I wanted was to go somewheres. All I wanted was a change. I weren't particular. She said it. It was wicked to say that I said. <clears throat> she said it was wicked to say what I said. Says she wouldn't say it for the whole world. She was going to live so as to go to the good place. Well, I couldn't see no advantage in going where she was going. So I made up my mind I wouldn't try for it. But I never said so. Because it would only make trouble. And I wouldn't do no good. Now she had a she had got a start. <clears throat> and she went on and told me all about the good place. She said all a body could have to do there was to go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. So I didn't think much of it. But I never, never said so. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there. And she said, not but a considerable sight. Not by a considerable sight, she said. I was glad about that because I wanted him and me to be together. Miss Watson, she kept pecking at me. And it got tiresome and lonesome. You want me to stop and read another one? I was just falling asleep. Okay, good. Fall asleep then. Because for some reason, my fingers just keep doing this. <laughs> okay. I'm going with the rhythm or something. Sounds good. By and by, they fetched the niggas in and had prayers, and then everybody was off to bed. I went up to my room with a piece of candle and put it on the table. Then I sat down on a chair in the window and tried to think of something cheerful, but it weren't no use. I felt so lonesome. I most wished I was dead. The stars were shining, and the leaves rustled in the woods ever so mournful. And I heard an owl away off, hooing about somebody that was dead. Oh, and a whopping will. Mm. And a dog crying about somebody that was going to die. And the wind was trying to whisper something to me. And I couldn't make out what it was. And so, and made the cold shivers run over me. Then, away out in the woods, I heard that kind of a sound that a ghost makes when it wants to tell about something that's on its mind and can't make itself understood. And so, it can't rest easy in its grave and has to go about that way every night, grieving. I got so downhearted and scared, I wish I had some company. Pretty soon, a spider went crawling up my shoulder, and I flipped it off. And it lit in the candle. And before it could... And before I could budge, it was... Okay, we're going to stop reading now. Bye-bye. Bottom of page four. <laughs>